0: Welcome back to CBuzz. We are Columbus's first business-focused podcast and I'm your host, Michaela Hunt. CBuzz is presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. We're coming to you today from Capital University's Convergent Media Center, such a cool space. It is really a collaborative space where students and faculty work together in new and exciting ways. They work on music, film, digital media, and so much more. So we're excited to be here and utilize this space for our podcast. We're also really excited today to be speaking with Lori Kaiser, founder and CEO of Kaiser Consulting. It's great to have you across from me today. Thank you for having me. And we've had coffee before, so I feel like this is just kind of sitting down in a secondary chat that we get to have today. So this will be great because I get to dig in a little more to what you're up to. So you started your business in 1992 as a sole proprietor and today kaiser consulting is an award-winning international professional services firm specializing in accounting finance it consulting great clients i mean when i look at your client list everything from honda of america manufacturing cardinal health nationwide insurance huntington bank i could go on and on so really what i want to know and i think our listeners want to know is kind of that journey as an entrepreneur walk us through a little bit about what it's looked like since you started this as that sole proprietor in 1992.
1: Sure. So, um, in 1992, I was working at KPMG, um, you know, a big public accounting firm, lots of hours, lots of travel, lots of great experience. It was a great place to start my career, but I had a baby. And at that point, um, having a baby and that career weren't, just weren't really a good fit. How many hours do you think you were working
0: around that time? Uh,
1: in busy season, a 70 or 75 hour week was not unusual. Um, less in the summer, but, um, when I, I was staying home on maternity leave and trying to think about how I was going to manage that career and being a parent, um, it just seemed um, undoable. And my husband also had a lot of travel in his job. So I actually quit my job without really having a plan. Um, my plan was... So
0: you're saying it's okay to do that because yes. it turns out
1: okay in the end, yes. but that was, that's where you were. My plan was I was going to get a plan. And so um, I was home a few months and my clients started calling me and they you know, basically heard that I wasn't working and they offered me project work, pro- work that I could do on the days and hours that I wanted that was a good fit.
0: And for you, you know, so you started doing this and did eventually you started your LLC or whatnot immediately or were you kind of DBA at that point even?
1: Well, in the beginning, I thought this was just something that I was going to do for a few years until my kids got a little older and I um, wanted to go back to full time because back in the 90s, it was pretty much full time or stay at home with not a lot in between. Um, so I really just felt like I was kind of biding my time till I went back to work full time. So what made you decide
0: that you weren't just biding your time? And given the fact we were living in that culture at that time where it was full-time or that, what made you decide, I'm going to go for this?
1: I So I loved my days at home, but I also loved my days at, at work. Um, I felt that I was the happiest person having a, a mix of both. And once I started that, um, within a year, I had more work than I could handle. So in the beginning, even in the first couple of years, I would get people that I knew that had similar skill sets that were at home um, to help me out with projects. In the beginning, they were just my 1099 contractors to help me out when I got too busy. Um, And then about a year after I was home, I was having another baby. And so um, I basically needed to figure out a way to manage my work while I went out on leave. So I hired a neighbor who had a very similar background, and she kept my projects going. And then when I was done with my maternity leave, I was ready to take the projects back over, and uh, she basically wanted to keep the projects. Um, So she was somebody who had moved to Central Ohio with her spouse and had great skill set but no no context in this area. So she couldn't really get her own work.
0: When you say she had great skill set but not context in this area, you are a huge believer, if I remember correctly, in your skill set and what you're able to do, being able to transfer to something.
1: Yes. So one of the things public accounting teaches you is you you get um, exposed to many industries. You get used to going in and very quickly ramping up and understanding the key performance metrics of a particular industry. And you grab onto those and you figure out sort of what's working in a company, what isn't working in a company, and how to help them um, you know, gather the metrics they need to move forward with the accounting data. You're
0: like a researcher. You're going into a company and collecting all this information and then making it into something meaningful in the accounting world. So you you hired this employee. What did it look like building the team from there, given that you knew you were all in, this is what I'm going to do after you hired that first employee, you know, What was next?
1: So actually for the first few years, I didn't really have employees. I kind of had people that jumped on to help me when I had too much work. And then they sort of went away when I didn't have work. Because in the first few years, it was just going to be a temporary thing. Right. I was going to go back, right? I was going to have this big career. And back then I thought a big career was working for somebody else. Um, So that's what I did the first few years. Um, And then honestly, I actually had a little detour in my career. I ended up another client. Uh, came and offered me a big job at their company to be the corporate controller in charge of um, a bunch of acquisitions. The company was going to go public. And I ended up kind of disbanding the business for a little while. I always I always kept a few clients, but um, my focus was sort of on this big job with a company. Right. It seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. And so I actually went and did that. And um, it ended up happening that they ended up selling the company and not going public. So I was sort of in the middle of a, um, what I jumped off for didn't happen.
0: Right. And so at that point, did you know you were going to go back and go all in again on? No.
1: So what ended up happening was, is I negotiated with the company that they would help pay for my MBA. I went back and got my MBA while I was helping do some of the wind down of the company and then when I got out of my MBA, about 18 months later, um, I thought I was going to get a big job again. And I started interviewing and basically most of those jobs I didn't want. And that wasn't the idea then I was going to turn what I was doing before into a real business. I was going
0: to say that's an eye opener when you're interviewing and realizing that's not what you want.
1: Yeah. My husband also is, uh, was kind of key to that because I'd get all excited about the interview and then I'd come home and I'd be pointing out sort of the bad things about the job.
0: <laughs> right. And so that was the indicator. He says to you, you know, you may want to think about this. Yes. So you ended up hiring your first employee around 2004. Is, is mm-hmm. that about right? Um, you know, now you have 70 employees that are working for you. So they're, you're obviously satisfying a great need that all kinds of industries have with how you do what you do. Um, so how have you approached that growth period going from that, you know, first employee, you know, 15 years ago um, to where you are now at 70. What does that look like in terms of growing it and addressing growing pains? Because we know there's growing pains when that happens too.
1: Yeah, I think um, I kind of probably went through all the things that normal entrepreneurs go. Uh, The first, you know, two to five employees are pretty easy because you can closely supervise them. And then going from five to 15 is more challenging as you grow. You can't manage all the people. So you start, that's the period of time when you need systems and processes So you have to kind of step back and invest in, you know, creating those. Um, And then we probably grew. It was a little bit easier to grow from 15 to 25, um, 30. And then you sort of hit some stopping points there again. um, That was the point at which I implemented um, Traction, um, entrepreneurial ownership system. Um, And that really helped me sort of, again, get ready to scale. And then after that, um, kind of hired, put in a middle management team, Um, and really focused on making the firm more management-centric than owner-centric. And then the last three or four years have been some great growth after that.
0: So a clarifying question, and then I want to talk about pre-traction and post-traction for our listeners. So the employees that you have right now, are they full-time? Are they contractors? What does that look like? Because you wanted to build a business that felt like what you had the opportunity to have back when you went out on your own.
1: So, everyone in our firm works the hours and days that they want. We have a very unique scheduling method where employees with the right skill set tell us how much they want to work. They actually project out 52 weeks, what their availability is. Um, Full time, part time, you can take summers off, you can take an extended leave if you want to go on a longer vacation. Um, So employees tell us what they want to work, and then we manage the work around their availability.
0: Which is amazing. I mean, and how many other companies have you run into that do something like that? There's a lot more flexibility, I feel like, in the workforce right now or in the workplace. But how many companies are actually doing that scheduling out? Have you had a chance to talk to others?
1: You know, occasionally we run into some. um, But for the most part, a lot of people um, will call me up and say, hey, can you come and collaborate with me on how I can make your work model work with our company, Um, especially now the last few years when the labor market has been so tight. Right. Because anything you can do
0: to attract a great employee with a great skill set. So let's talk pre-traction, pre-30 people, right? Um, So with that, when you were in that moment, what were some of the things you put in place that were critical to helping you make it to 15 to 20
1: Um, I would say um, one of the things I did to grow was I always went on the new projects. Um, We would get a a new client and I would um, basically train a person to take over the role I was doing and then I would move to the new work, kind of figure that out and then bring on people to to do that when I moved to the next. My first probably 15 to 20 employees, um, I was very focused on working in the business and not working on the business. Um,
0: So true for so many people in that position.
1: Right. Um, And that kind of worked for me. Um, I'm a little bit more of an introvert. And so at the point that I did start working on the business, it was a bit of a challenge for me to, you know, get out in the community and network. Post-traction.
0: So for those of you listening, traction is a system in a book, right? That that you can read and implement within your business. Post-traction, what did traction do for you? to grow you Um, in the business?
1: The interesting story about how I decided that I needed traction is um, there was a particular time that I decided that everybody needed evaluations, and I spent the better part of a month writing and giving evaluations to 30 employees. And I got to the end of the month, and I had this epiphany that I was the person holding back the growth of our company. I was managing too many people. I was doing too many things. And it was getting super challenging to find enough work for 30 people when i was still working in the business um so i really it was it was sort of an eye opening moment when i came to the end of the month and was like i'm the problem in the business and so at that moment you knew okay we've got to we've got to do something
0: different so yeah. what does traction look like given the fact that you had that epiphany
1: for um, you? so our business is way healthier um very few of the decisions related to the client service come through me anymore. We have a team of directors that oversee all the client work. Um, and the quality's better. I'm not as stretched as thin. I'm, much, um, I'm out in the community doing more things and being more involved. I have an opportunity to be more strategic and visionary, which has really um, instead of, you know my initial thought was that it would uh, it would take away from the business if I wasn't managing everything. The reality is the business is better. Sometimes it is, though, hard to let go
0: when we've built something and we're so specific about what we wanted to build. So I know a lot of people are feeling you when you say that. Yeah. So... Speaking of getting out in the community, uh, Lori is the 2019 recipient of the Columbus Chambers Small Business Leader Award. First of all, congratulations on that. Thank you. That's an exciting award to get. Um, And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, this award really recognizes local leaders in the community who have demonstrated exceptional success in business based on numerous factors, including sales, workforce, community contributions, those things that you were just talking about, now you're able to get out there and do. Um, I'm curious, when you heard you were receiving the award, tell me about your reaction and what it really means to you.
1: Well, first of all, I was honored to even be a nominee, and I didn't find out until the actual chamber annual meeting that I had won. Um, It's just an honor to be recognized for not only working in your business, but giving back to the community. And in, in what are some
0: of the ways that you specifically give back to the community? What are ways that you're involved beyond the chamber?
1: Um, I think the last few years I've been really involved in mentoring other women, women business owners um, through the WSBA, through um, NABO, through the Women's Fund. Um, I'm pretty passionate about helping women kind of achieve their full potential
0: because ultimately when you started this again back to that societal bit we were in full time or stay at home these are the and there's so much more within the spectrum now that we can do and as business owners which i love um, it, But that's not the – the Small Business Leader Award isn't the only accolade, though, that you've collected, obviously. So some of the, you know, groups that you were mentioning or some of the types of groups you are mentioning, you were one of the women you should know, honoree by Weld, Olentangy Area Entrepreneur of the Year, Rising Star CEO by Columbus CEO Magazine. And then Kaiser Consulting has been recognized, obviously, for a number of reasons as well. Best Places to Work list. I know that's you guys in Columbus. Two separate times. And this culture, I keep going back to the word culture and what you were facing when you started this and what you created ultimately. You have such a solid culture given what you've been able to do in the workplace. Um, A small portion of your team, given what we talked about earlier, is in the office at any given time. How do you build momentum when you have schedules where I say, hey, I'm going to come in these weeks or these times of the year. When you have that team, how do you build momentum when people have that personal opportunity to lay out their schedule?
1: Yeah, it is a challenge um, when... The people that we hire immediately go out and are working at client locations, right? It's hard to build the culture. So we do a lot of things. Um, we have a newsletter that tracks not only sort of company activities, but highlights an employee every month. We have a lot of social events. Um, we have quarterly social events at least, happy hours. We do book clubs where we invite somebody to read a book, and then we get together and, and talk about it. Um, so that's growth and um Bonding, right? I mean, truly, yeah. And, and we do quarterly trainings um, where where we give um, employee both business and soft skill training. So we try to do a lot of things to make people feel um, valued and want to stay at our company.
0: Do people attend? Because we're also kind of in this, you know, world where sometimes, oh, I'm going to do this. Have you built this group that really wants to invest in these opportunities with you guys? It sounds like you have.
1: We have. Um, we actually plan a lot of things, you know, during the workday. So most things are going to occur between 9 and 3. Um, like, uh, for example, our, our holiday party, we plan it from um, 3 to 6. So if somebody needs to be home by 4 for the bus to get their kids off the bus, they can come at the beginning. And if people are working all day and getting off at 5, they can come at the end. So we, we really try to keep in mind the fact that we have a variety of schedules. I, what's been the feedback? I'll be honest, like when you have people
0: talking to you about what this has afforded them in terms of opportunities, what do you hear from your employees about this approach?
1: Well, most people love it. And I think um, the proof of that is, is that we have very low turnover, People rarely leave us, um, you know, and what speaks stronger than that? Because people can work wherever they want. And it's a number,
0: right? So, and ultimately, you guys work in that. So, when you have a small turnover rate, you're right. People can, especially to the point that we made of this economy. So, what advice would you have for small businesses who are looking to establish a culture like this in their workplaces? Where do they start?
1: Well, I say the first thing you need to do is to be open, to be flexible, to kind of think outside the box. but. Instead of everybody that works here needs to be here from eight to five. Um, If you have a strong performer who has some challenging things going on in their life, you know, talk to them. Is the schedule working for them? That's a way to retain the people you already have, that you've invested a lot of time and energy and and probably money training. Um, And then as far as attracting people outside of the box, um, you know, we advertise for the people that come to our firm in different places. It's not always on LinkedIn. You know, if you want to attract maybe a stay-at-home parent, um, you know, they're on Facebook or they're in in different places. So you've got to look at them, uh, look for them in different places. And then once they're on board, you need to make them feel not that they're a second-class citizen, but that, you know, their contributions are just as important as every other, you know, employee there. Did you
0: know that your approach was going to set your business apart from everyone else?
1: Not in the beginning. In the beginning, it was just sort of, hey, this is the schedule I want, and there's got to be other people that want the same thing.
0: And, you know, do you, and when you hire individuals, I guess is a question I want to ask, you want their value, like you want their values to align with yours, obviously. So is there a way to be able to see that when you're going through the interview process as you're trying to build this culture with these potential employees? Yes.
1: Um, So... When we interview them, we actually go over the qualities that make a good person not only fit the type of work, but also fit our culture. Um, We always say we want employees uh, with batteries included. They kind of have to be self-starters because they're out of clients helping to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of good accountants with good technical skills, but there aren't a lot of accountants that are interested in sort of getting out and getting to the root of a problem and and becoming part of the client's team to solve those problems. So really
0: self-starters, problem solvers that have skills that will go into these client experiences Mm -hmm. is from what it sounds like. So I, and I know as a small business owner, you are always working to stay ahead of the latest trends in your industry, just kind of given what you do and your approach to business and what it's been since you started all that time ago. We're in the midst of a very fast moving world when it comes to technology and innovation. I know you and I've talked about this before. How do you guarantee
1: your company is staying relevant in accounting and what you're doing? So some of that's the training that we talked about. We do a quarterly training with all of our employees. So they come in once a quarter. They're hearing, you know, what the newest things are in our industry and, you know, software or um, accounting standards. Um, And some of it is um, we are working on some of those projects at clients. You know, so some of our big companies there, the biggest companies are usually the first ones in on some of the newer trends. So we're learning along with our clients. Um, And then we also have a trends group where we look quarterly at what's going on. Oh, that's
0: interesting. So you look quarterly at what's going on and then kind of report back.
1: Right. So one of our new things is that we have a cannabis client.
0: Which there are a lot of these clients popping up as, a, as an opportunity for businesses everywhere. So right. you have a cannabis client. You are learning a lot in the we accounting world for a cannabis client. What are um, So at that point, are you studying the whole industry since it's a newer industry and there are these financial structures that are very specific to that? Like, how do you dig into that?
1: Well, usually what happens in any new industry we go into, sort of our core um, knowledge is going to translate very well. And then there's this layer of what's new in that industry. So, you know, this is just a kind of new, what's new in this, this layer.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes small business owners struggle to stay on top of the latest trends in technology. What advice would you give them I mean, you. I feel like you've been very intentional about having people on your team probably look into trends, which could be a portion of it.
1: Um, I would just say be open. You know, keep your eyes open. Um, we're bombarded with news all the time. All the so time. So just kind of have that filter of how does this impact me as a you know person and how does it impact my company? So the things we see making the connections back
0: to what you do. What a business owner does, what their industry is. Right.
1: I think my background um, and the background of all most of the people on my team. Um, we all started out as auditors. As an auditor, you're very skeptical. You're going in and looking at a company's books. You're asking questions. You're verifying things. Uh, most of the people in my business are very inquisitive by nature.
0: Got it. So that so you're going to be looking into these things more so maybe than other people would maybe. be, yeah. given what you given your background. So you have a pretty interesting hobby. You have earned your FAA private pilot's license. And I was thinking, I, I know your daughter's in Seattle. Is this making it easier to get to Seattle yet or no? Well, not I mean, that's, yet. A, that's a flight.
1: Right. Right now, I've kind of been flying in about a six or eight state region. <laughs> but
0: within that region, that had to be a neat thing to be able to do. And I take it, to learn to fly, you have to commit hours. So obviously, it's important for you to have hobbies outside of work. Talk to me about that.
1: Right. So, when my kids left home, I found out what I was doing was I was working all day and then I was coming home, maybe having dinner with my husband, and then kind of gravitating back to work again because everything that I did in the evenings with kids, social, you know, sporting events and cooking and running them around and kind of keeping track of what was on their schedule, all that was gone. Right. So, um, in the short run, it was kind of um, great. I put a lot of time and energy into the business, but that was not a very good long-term fix. So I decided I needed to fill in my life with some other more interesting things. And so obviously,
0: earning your pilot's license, part of that, are there a couple other hobbies that you've, that you've kind of leaned into in terms of, I want to try this out, I think this would be good for me, to grow me?
1: Well, so I took up, uh, retook took up golf. So I golfed before I had kids and kind of had given it up for a while. It's hard
0: to golf when you have kids, given <laughs> schedules, yeah.
1: And then I'm um, teaching at OSU now. Oh, that's amazing. What course are you teaching over there? I teach a a class in the Working MBA program called Accounting for Decision Making. Accounting for Decision Making. Right.
0: Is that a class they've had over there for a while?
1: They have. But Um, you're putting your spin on it. I am putting my spin on it, kind of modernizing it with uh, kind of relevant things. I get a lot of guest speakers, CFOs in town to come and speak. Um, I really am a strong believer that a lot of times in people's careers, um, eight or 10 years into the career, they're into management and they're managing people and processes and budgets. Yeah, And a lot of times they don't have the skill set that goes along with that. So the people that are back to get their MBAs are looking for certain things. And so I can bring sort of the real world flavor to those topics.
0: Right. Which which is so true. I think we both probably run into a lot of people who love their business, passionate about their business, um, but have now they're in a managing space or they're an employee who's now in this to to the point that you made. Um, so you've been able to do some of these things since the children left home. Two daughters, is that correct? A daughter, or, a, a daughter and a son. A daughter and a son. So they're both gone, and so and you had a team in place too, some to be able to go and pursue some other interests. It sounds like as well,
1: right? Um, a few years ago, I sold some portion of the company to my management team, and that's really enabled me to sort of pursue some of these other things that I. Um, don't want to wait so long to pursue. So how did you come? I
0: want to talk a little bit about that. How did you come to the decision that you wanted to do it? It sounds like you wanted to pursue some of these other things, but how did you know time is right? Let's do this now. Sell a percentage of this.
1: Um, I had a great team and I had one of my great sort of next level leaders leave. And it was sort of an eye-opening time about how important those people were to the growth and sustainability of the business. And for me, it was, I need to figure out a way that nobody wants to leave. So that was some of it. Also, at the time, I had been doing this for over 25 years, and it was just time for me to do some other things. Um, and I also felt like the, my management team was ready for some new challenges. So, kind of all those things together led me to deciding that I wanted to share ownership.
0: So what's that ownership share look like? What's the percentage right now that you have?
1: Uh, So six additional partners now own 18% of the firm.
0: Got it. And given that you went down that road and that it's happened, what comes next for Kaiser Consulting? I mean, so you haven't exited the business, right? And it's not like you're leaving right now, but what are the plans for the future given you've realized the importance of your management team having some ownership in it?
1: Right. So our next challenge is going to be f- to figure out how to make ownership available to the next set of people coming into, you know, their career advancement. Um, so we're working on a plan for that, as well as that'll mean probably I will continue to sell some of my ownership. Mm hmm and you guys have i mean you're
0: you have grown i remember i was having a conversation with you, you do you have an you have an office in cincinnati i want to say yeah a couple of employees in cincinnati yeah a couple of employees in cincinnati so what what does growth look like do you believe too given the fact so you're thinking about okay how are, how do i get true ultimate buy in right actual buy in to the company with some of my next-gen, next-level leaders, but how do you grow at the same time? Like, what do you think about that in the next few years?
1: Yeah, we've talked about going to other markets um, and expanding. We're kind of trying to figure out how to do that. We've never been in another market. Um, We've only grown here successfully, so we have to figure out, you know, can we grow in another market? How many people are like you in
0: accounting? Has it become more of a thing since you started this back uh,
1: meaning you know, our model? Yeah, your or, model.
0: Yeah, your mo- when it comes to what you do and how you do it with really talented employees who want the flexibility in scheduling.
1: So I would say what's the difference is, is these days, many firms are trying to make the part-time model work for them so that they can retain their talent. And that's great. I always tell people, if you want to have a, some part-time situation, the best thing to do is to approach your current employer because they already see your value. Um, and they don't want you to go. No, they don't want you
0: to go. <laughs> so, and okay, and the light, this did this earlier too, but we just continue to talk if you're okay, okay with sure. that. I think there's something that's programmed that kind of did something like that. Um, we'd mentioned that you are involved in a number of community initiatives and sit on quite a few boards, including your most recent placement as chair of the Chamber's Small Business Council. But I, I want to talk about your experience you know, with the, with the Women's Fund, and you sit on their board of directors, you currently serve as the treasurer, and you're also involved with their executive finance and audit committees. Um, and we mentioned your belief in really empowering women. We touched on it earlier. Um, what does women's empowerment look like in, in, in the next couple of years to you in our business community, and how do you hope to foster more of that? where we live, and maybe potentially elsewhere?
1: Um, I would say um, my involvement with the Women's Fund got started when, after my kids left home, I was looking for sort of some more things to be involved in um, to find some purpose. And in one week, I heard the statistic that women still only made 78 cents on the dollar and that girls' self-esteem peaks at age eight and is downhill after that. So those two things together sort of um, made me look for an organization that was really focused on women leadership and empowering women to, you know, be their best, achieve the success that they want in their lives. Um, So I think to me, it's um, enabling women to have the skill sets to achieve, you know, again, whatever their goals and dreams are for their life and not feel like um, they're bound by any issues relating to their gender.
0: So that could look like, what, paid leave, access to daycare, any of those things that at times, you know this and I know this from the research too, accessibility and the ability to have these things isn't always easy.
1: Right. Um, And to me, some of it is just giving them the confidence to, you know, be able to ask for the things that they need to be successful.
0: What do we need to make that happen? Because I think that's such a good point. What is that? What is it resources? Is it training? I mean, in the business community, how do we need to better do that? So women say, yes, I want to ask for this. This is me.
1: I think it's um, increasing women's confidence in those areas, but it's also making men sort of um, acknowledge that they may need to ask the people that are working with them, peers on their teams or subordinates on their team, um, because there's really a business case for, you know, helping women achieve the success they want.
0: And when you say that, is it because of what companies can do when women see success, when you say there's a business case for it?
1: Well, so more than uh, of the people getting college degrees, 60% are women. And then as you go up the pyramid of promotions and, um, you know, advancement, yeah. the women shrink at every level. So I think it's, we need to figure out a way to leverage the skill set
0: of those people. And sometimes a male manager or supervisor saying, you need to apply for this promotion. You right. need to put your name in the hat for this and this is why. So um, it's it's advocacy, truly. I mean, I think about mentorship and I think about advocacy in the workplace and it's opportunities for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, Lori Kaiser, great to talk to you. You've done a lot and, and you created a business model that really your employees value so much. So it's neat to talk about it and maybe share that wisdom with some other folks who could take a lot away from that.
1: Sure, if you're interested in, you know, how to make the model work for you, please give me a call.
0: Awesome. Lori Kaiser, with Kaiser Consulting. So glad to have her on Buzz. Thank you all for being with us too. If you were inspired, educated, or informed in any way by today's episode, and we hope you were, great conversation, let us know. And you can do that by leaving a rating or a review really easily. All you need to do is search Buzz on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. You can search that way there as well. When you let us know how we're doing, it helps us plan for future episodes. So it's important to us. Again, Buzz is produced in collaboration with Capitol University and is recorded at Capital's Conversion Media Center so we give many thanks to their talented students, faculty, and staff for their hard work producing this podcast. I'm Michaela Hunt, thanks again for joining us and I look forward to our next conversation.